1: Up on this upper deck. This is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind Battlebots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Mad Catter driver Calvin Eba.
2: We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Castbox, Player, FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support.
0: Time for this week's Combat Robotics news. I have four news items for you today. First up, we should probably address two separate controversies that popped up this week. Rick Russ leaving Tombstone and Valkyrie captain Leanne Cushing calling out an unnamed rookie team for alleged pay to play. Let's start with Tombstone. This week, longtime Tombstone pit crew chief Rick Russ announced publicly that he was leaving team Hardcore Robotics, writing, quote, I understand that you all think that Ray built and designed Tombstone, but for the past five years, Tombstone was redesigned, built and maintained by me, while Ray got all the credit. So that's why after filming the 2021 season, I decided to leave Team Hardcore slash Tombstone and start my own Team Swamp thing for the 2022 season. Ray responded to the controversy on Reddit, challenging the assertion that Rick did all the work and all the design for Tombstone, calling that, quote, bananas. He added, quote, I sincerely wish him the best, and I'm sure he will have something interesting and competitive to show for his efforts for next season. And no matter how he may feel going forward, I will be cheering for any successes he may have. Rick had appeared on the Tombstone roster for the past six seasons straight. His robot Swamp Thing competed on BattleBots during the untelevised 2004 event and also competed at RoboGames from 2004 to 2018. Uh, Kyle, I feel like you are our uh, resident skeptic. I would love to get your take on the Rick Russ controversy this week. Um Is it real? Is it manufactured? Is it a mix of the two? Uh, Jump in here and let us know what you think.
3: So when I first heard this, I assumed it was uh, to use the nomenclature from professional wrestling, a worked shoot. Um, And by that, I mean that the uh, conflict and disagreement between Rick and Ray is based in reality, like Rick uh, wanted to break out on his own and get more recognition for his work, but uh, he and Ray concocted this, like, internet squabble so as they had a ready-made storyline and rivalry for the show. Um, After kind of looking into that more and asking around, I I do not think that is the case any longer. I think that uh, this is very real and that these two fellas... I mean, I think the animosity is a little bit obviously more on Rick's side than Ray's side. That's pretty obvious just from reading the posts. Um, So at this point, I'm just curious to see what Rick ends up doing with Swamp Thing as a fan of RoboGames. You know, I used to watch Swamp Thing compete on there. And uh, back in the day, RoboGames basically like boiled down to two robot types in the heavyweight division. It was... um, Bots that looked like free shipping, right? Wedges with flamethrowers on them. And uh, Tombstone or Last Rites. And uh, yeah, Swamp Thing was one of those bots with wedges and flamethrowers. And it didn't have an active weapon that would be uh, legal for battle bots. So I'm very curious to see what he comes up with that would get on the show. And, um, you know, very interested to see what they do with those storylines once, if he does get uh, onto the roster.
0: Do you think that this hurts Tombstone going forward, Chris, Lindsey, Kyle? I mean, it's not a big team. Rick Russ knows the inside and outside of that robot pretty well. Um, you know, uh, is this uh, another nail in the coffin
3: for Tombstone? <laughs> um, Rick did weld that frame and put that frame together pretty pretty off. Like, that was his part of the job from what I remember. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he was very much so partners with with Ray. Uh, on that bot so yeah i'd say that there's there's some hurt there but you know ray's a super capable guy and um he'll be able to figure it out i don't think that he won't and uh you know this year or for this next year going forward he's gonna have uh hopefully that this new concept of tombstone a little bit more dialed in we'll see we'll see
1: i mean it's not the most complex frame right Ray might have a closet in his house right now that just has 15 identical tombstone frames hanging from, you know, a couple of hangers. And then and then, you know, uh, you're good to go. You can cut you can cut anyone loose. They could go to Swamp Thing. They could do their own thing like that's fine. But I don't know. We can only speculate about the whole thing. I'm kind of over it. Mm, Okay, well said. Um, On over
0: to a controversy that popped up briefly but was quickly scrubbed from BattleBots' internet. Valkyrie captain Leanne Cushing called out an unnamed rookie team on Twitter, writing, quote, "'I was really upset to meet a team this year at BattleBots that paid to have their bot made slash designed and be able to be there even more when the hired team said they weren't treated well. If passion and engineering is gone, will this show survive?' Since posting that tweet back in August, Leon has since deleted the tweet. Separately, the moderators at the BattleBots group on Facebook and the BattleBots subreddit on Reddit apparently deleted threads about the controversy as well. Now, without getting uh, too much into the story myself, I can confirm that I did independently hear uh, this same allegation from a different BattleBots captain, but uh, I won't say who they're talking about because I wasn't able to independently verify the claim. Um... So, Chris, Lindsay, Kyle, your thoughts on this controversy. By the way, Kyle, I feel like you're kind of also involved in the story because uh, (laughs) you're a mod on the BattleBots Facebook group. Uh, So maybe you can start there with like how
3: that uh, how that got deleted. Uh, uh, Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. I am an admin on the uh, BattleBots (laughs) Facebook group. Thank you very much. (laughs) Good. And... uh... We, we did not actually delete that post. We turned off commenting on that post because it was very quickly turning into a dumpster fire. And the person who posted it then deleted it because what's the fun of a dumpster fire that you can't comment on? Um, so just to clarify that, we, we typically don't delete posts unless like things are real bad. Um, what are my thoughts on this? If somebody did pay to have their bot designed and pay for their crew or pay to have the bot built and pay to have their crew at BattleBots and didn't treat them well. The only part of that story that I think is bad for the sport and for the like spirit of everything is didn't treat the crew well. I'll bet in the early days of NASCAR, the first team that had a professionally engineered car and a paid pit crew made a lot of the other teams of like good old boys who were just building stuff in their backyard and figuring out how to make it go fast, have some feelings, right? I will bet they had some feelings about that change in the sport, but that change in the sport is... Natural, and it is a normal evolution of things. Um, hiring people and treating them badly, though, that's that's another thing entirely, and that sucks. Um, so, yeah, that's the only part of this story that is bad, and I can't confirm any of it. I don't know if any of it's true or not, so there's that. Speculation is fun.
1: I I, I kind of feel like, who cares how you get to the show? I mean, if... If you have um, if you have the means and you have an idea and you and you could bring the people together to make something happen, you're 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 a you're you're a producer. You're not necessarily an engineer. You might not be an electrical engineer like but you you took what it it takes to get there. Um, But it's important that, you know, you're you're judged alongside your peers the same way. Uh, and you know, if, if you, uh, if you are just in it to, to see yourself on TV and, you, and it's like it, your passion's not necessarily in the sport, then I, I have a problem with that. But as long as you're, um, you know, you're, you're, you're sticking your skin out there and you're, you've you got your cash on the line. Cause you just built this robot. I don't know. I'm, I, I just, I don't see, I don't see anything terrible with it. I just don't know why this would even have to be a controversy.
2: I I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's within the spirit of the sport to me. Like if it's one thing to like bring people together and you all participate and you know, you might have an idea, whatever, and then you form a team and maybe you as the captain, you're not the one doing all the work on the team. Maybe you're doing other stuff, but you're still involved like we we don't know the true nature of you know what this arrangement was or whatever but i think it's one thing to have a team and you serve some part of the team and then you all come together and compete but if you are like quite literally outsourcing the entire design the entire build every part of the bot and you you know just have someone hand someone else's idea to you and now you have to compete with it because you paid them to do it and you are presumably wealthy and um, your money got you to a place instead of hard work. Like, I don't think that that's not like the type of show I want (laughs) to watch. I really like that. The people who compete on the show are, they, they love the sport and they love the show, but they're not just there to like see themselves on television I don't know. Like and again, we don't know the true nature right. of what is at the heart of this controversy because everything was pretty vague. Um but you know, I imagine the truth lies somewhere in between those two scenarios. Um but I certainly would not like to see uh just a bunch of wealthy people who have no involvement in the bot end up fighting with a bot that then they won't have any understanding of how it works, how to repair it, how to drive it. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. It's not.
1: Yeah. I, I get, I get what you're, I get what you're saying, but one of my favorite things to watch, I think in combat robotics is someone who has more money than like robotics aptitude like absolutely have their bot destroyed by somebody who knows what they're doing, and we're talking thousands of dollars could go out the window because of that mistake. Yeah, it's
2: just I, it 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 makes it can make things interesting. But what happens if they win? You know, is that any fun? Good
0: point, Lindsay. Yes, yeah.
2: then they're
1: probably bringing something then that 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 is interesting. No,
2: uh,
1: I I don't.
0: Yeah,
2: I don't. I don't know that.
0: It would necessarily interest. I, I'm Lindsey. I, I'm 100 with you. I, I am shocked that that Kyle and Chris are okay with this. You know, like uh, I feel like the whole spirit of BattleBots is, you know, it's hobbyists. It's really smart people who are operating with limited resources and bringing the best thing that they can think of to a competition where they are, you know, competing against people who are on a similar playing field. And the day that we have a billionaire show up and cobble together a highly paid super team of engineers, you know, to build a dominant robot and basically buy the giant nut is the day that our sport dies. Okay, (laughs) like uh, it becomes something totally different. It becomes like a sport for Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, like a hundred worse people with lots of money and, you know, the really amazing engineers well, get, <laughs> get get relegated back into the pits, you know, and that's just, yeah, I'm, I'm not down for that.
2: I imagine it also then drives up the cost for all of the regular teams because the cost is already so high with like tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars, you know, being required to compete. But now if... And I'm not saying that this would happen, but just hypothetically, if the norm is now these millionaires, you know, or billionaires competing with hundreds of, I know, Chris is Millionaires
1: million- and billionaires <laughs> are going to dominate
4: this sport. <laughs>
2: uh, I know, I, I I, can feel my Bernie Sanders uh, impression coming out, but um, I mean, that will drive up the average cost of a bot and then so for a regular team to try and compete with a team that's that well resourced will make it that much harder so for a sport that's already prohibitively expensive once you start having people who just throwing money at it who don't necessarily love the sport they just want to be involved for whatever reason (laughs) it's going to be more expensive for everyone you
1: can love the sport and just throw, throw money at it Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's exactly how I built a robot. (laughs) I had no robot building experience, and I had to expedite everything by just kind of trying to buy parts and see what
2: works. But you did all the work yourself in the basement with your cousins. It's not like you called up someone else and were like, hey make this for me plus you had an idea we don't even know if this person had an original idea right. we don't know we don't know anything frankly so it's like, all yeah, speculation
1: i think we could literally kill each other over something that is 100 speculative and like there is a sliding scale of you know of of what level of participation you should have to have in a build but you know i i just i think that if you love the sport and you want to see something that maybe you're imagining kind of come to life? You can do what you got to do to get to the get to the show. You shouldn't be excluded. Um, but you know, once I, I do agree that there is a threshold where it's like, okay, if there are literally corporate interests that are funding bots that are uh, like so op that like you can't compete with them, uh, that that is now that that is now grounds for like a different league, right?
3: I cannot even... I think BattleBots is becoming that
0: league, though. I can't imagine the outrage if a rookie bot that, you know, somebody spent orders of magnitude more money on and just paid their way to the end, ended up winning. I don't even know how BattleBots would spin that. Like, I think that the only reason why this is not a massive, massive, massive controversy that we heard from all of the builders is that whoever this this builder is didn't end up winning the giant nut... But could they do it next year? Maybe. I don't know. Like, that's uh, something to consider. Uh, all right. Last thoughts on this uh, story, because it's already gone on for uh, probably 10 minutes longer than it should have.
3: In the second season of the reboot, Hal Rucker showed up with a machined billet of magnesium. Fricking magnesium. Okay. They had to come up with a different method of machining it because it was magnesium and he competed with it and dressed in a silly casino costume and it cost ungodly amounts of money to get it done and burn down a shop. I might add. And the bot didn't do well at all. Money is a factor, right? It is one of the sliders on the scale. If Somebody wants to slide that slider up to maximum and come and compete. Let them. They also have to face people like Jameson Go who quality test and, uh, experiment with and improve their bot in so many ingenious ways that you literally cannot buy that. You cannot spend your money into that. It's fine. Let it happen. Um, you know, that's where the sport's heading. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Money fuels innovation just as much as anything else.
0: Kyle, strong disagree, but uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you uh, about this. And I don't know, off the pod. This is an interesting topic. All right. Um, Speaking of this this exact...
2: I'm with you, Luke.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, All right. Speaking of this exact thing, speaking of passion and engineering, our next story comes from uh, rural Illinois, where Rusty Captain Dave Eaton announced that Rusty version 2.0 was forced to sit out this season due to not getting its required parts in time. Instead, he decided to pull Rusty version 1.0 out of retirement and run the robot again. If you'd like to see what Rusty 2.0 looks like, aka Rusty Jr., check out the Rusty 2021 page on BattleBots.com. And finally, I'd like to wrap up this week's news with a big happy anniversary to Scorpio's co-captains, Zach Lytle and Diana Tarlson, who celebrated their seventh wedding anniversary this week. We love you and we want you to have another 70 years of happiness together. So happy anniversary to you both. And that's it for this week's news. Now, uh, before we get into our interview with Calvin Eba... uh, Excellent interview. I loved it. It is time yet again for Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 59 people participate in Snap Decisions. 10 people called 7 out of 7 fight night fights correctly. Those people were Heather Stringfellow, Alan Milton, Matt Mrozak, Austin Brady, Megan Jane, Andrew Harvey, Joel Warren, B is for BattleBots illustrator Caleb Kempson, competitive giant pumpkin farmer Chad New, and our own behind the bots co-host Chris DeSico. Congratulations, Chris!
1: Bow, 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 bow! Oh, how the two turntables and a microphone!
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, Chris, before you uh, before you celebrate too much, I do want to point out that technically. Seven out of the ten managed to call the YouTube exclusive fight correctly as well. So, a second round of congratulations to Heather, Alan, Matt, Austin, Megan, Caleb, and Chad. Uh, Chris, unfortunately, you called the YouTube exclusive incorrectly. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Okay. the easiest fight to call last week was Blip versus Rusty, with 53 out of 59 people predicting that Blip would win. The biggest upset of the week was Mammoth versus Hijinks, with just 23 out of 59 people predicting that Mammoth would win. Uh, Now, before we get into this week's predictions, I would love to.
2: I should have gone with my gut.
0: I know, I know. I feel like a lot of people should have. All right. uh, Before we get into this week's predictions, I want to take a pause here and get your thoughts on episode two. We saw um, some big storylines emerge. Um, We saw two super teams enter the arena. Aaron Hill uh, bots Tantrum and Blip and the Vasquez family uh, with Whiplash and Defender. Uh, we saw just some incredibly tough robots, like I really loved Kraken's performance. Um, we saw the return of Yeti, of course. Um, I would love to to get your thoughts. Maybe, Kyle, you can kick us off. Uh, what were your thoughts after seeing Episode 2?
3: Episode 2 was amazing. Uh, lots of fire and uh, another excellent use of the upper deck. Still didn't sway my my uh favor for the upper deck because I still think the thing is dumb, but it was cool to see it used properly. Um, great driving I, all around. I love the episode. I thought it was awesome. Awesome, Chris, Lindsay, your your thoughts on episode two?
2: Um, I I thought it was a great great episode. All all of the fights were really fun. Um, I actually have really enjoyed a lot of the post show content. So. Um, You know, when we were watching uh, Mammoth vs. um, it was really like you watched it and you're like, why did the wheel fall off of hijinks? It was really hard to understand because it didn't look like there was a big impact. It didn't really look like the wheel had been, you know, hurt in any way and then it just fell off. Um, so if you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend you go check out Jen Herkenroeder's um, like post-fight synopsis on, I mean, an incredible technical detail of what went on with hijinks, um, what went on in the fight, and then why some of the changes they had made in between seasons had, you know, led up to that moment. Um, I thought it was really fascinating and she does a really incredible job of explaining things in like very technical detail, but in a way that is like comprehensible to someone um, who has no background in this kind of thing. So, definitely recommend you check that out. Um, and yeah, I mean, wow, there were so many great fights. I was skeptical of how, uh, you know blip would be able to like foist up uh rusty onto their flipper and and get that done and wow was i proven wrong um that was an incredible incredible fight and i'm a rusty or i guess i'm a rusty believer but i'm a blip believer as well um that was a a whole lot of fun and man uh tantrum like i think that it you know, obviously last season was not a fluke by any means. And I think that fight against malice really like cemented its stance and being a really powerfully um weaponed bot, one that is not just a tank, can take a lot of hits, but can also deal a lot of damage. Um, David Rush from Malice had um, messaged, you know, our podcast chat, um, showing us pictures of like the bearings and and how much the punches from Tantrum like really um, messed them up. And so I think like man, Tantrum is not to be uh, taken lightly this year. They are they're pretty scary.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent with you. Tantrum is um, is very quickly becoming one of my favorite bots in in all of BattleBots.
0: Amazing. Awesome.
1: Uh, All right, let's get into uh, this week's prediction, starting with our first fight of the night,
3: Hypershock versus Slammo. Kyle, your thoughts on this fight? This is such a hard one to predict, um, mainly because of Will Bales. Right? We know what Craig is bringing. He is bringing a tuned-in, ready-to-go, well-tested slammo. Will Bales is bringing whatever rebuilt concoction of Hypershock he is putting together and throwing money at because he didn't order parts on time. Version of Hypershock, just like he always does. Uh, will the weapon be working in this first fight? Who knows? Will it have a functioning for a self-writer in this first fight? Who knows? Will the drivetrain be working in this first fight? Who knows? Will he have had time to battle hard in the motors? But once again, nobody knows. Uh, could a fully functioning hypershock beat a slamo? Yes. Will we get a fully functioning hypershock in the first fight of the season? I, I don't know. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. I'm gonna give it to slamo because I want to, uh, with the huge caveat of if Hypershock is doing the Hypershock thing; it'll win.
0: Mm, okay, one vote for Slammo. Lindsay, your thoughts: Hypershock versus Slammo.
2: First off, I want to say, Kyle, I love how many questions you asked yourself <laughs> and answered yourself in uh, that prediction. It was a lot of fun to listen to, and I'm going to basically echo everything you said. Um, could Hypershock in its perfect form beat Slamo? Yeah, probably. Do I think that we're going to get that Hypershock in the first match of the season? Probably not. And Craig really has Slamo like, dialed in, tuned up. He's ready to go. So I'm going to say Slamo.
1: Okay. Chris, your thoughts on this fight? It's going to be interesting. I think that this is one of the very first matches we're really going to see, you know, how the shelf can impact a bot that is basically drifting and like high speed the way hypershock likes to use the box, uh, you know, versus another bot that is designed to kind of corral. Um, so I think that this is actually kind of like a three-way match, hypershock slammo and the box itself. Um, I, I still kind of think that, uh, you know, I don't know what hypershock's opening record is. Um, but, you know, I, I think that with a little bit of that downtime that happened with the pandemic and I, I, I assume that the hypershock that's coming for for this season is ready to go, is a little bit more dialed in. I'm I'm just going to go against the grain here and I'm going to say hypershock. OK, hypershock. Chris, with with virtually everything stacked against them. True,
0: true. Chris, let's uh let's stick with you for the next fight.
1: Valkyrie versus P1. Your prediction here. So uh, this is kind of like a rinse and repeat of my same argument, right? Um, you know, Valkyrie is is a bot that needs to uh, to focus on that spin-up time. It uh, it needs to play with a little bit of area. It doesn't like uh, to get pushed around until it's ready to go. P1, on the other hand, is one of those bots that's going to be on top of you that's built to be fast. It's built to push you up against a, uh, you know, a hazard. Uh, but I just, you know, I, I still think that um Valkyrie is that uh that nuclear weapon uh in uh the rock paper scissors match so uh we've seen Valkyrie it's it's a tough bot they had some some kinks to work out before but i think that uh you know we're going to see something great this season so i'm going to throw it at Valkyrie
0: okay Kyle i'm interested in hearing your thoughts Valkyrie versus p1
3: this is a hard one to be confident about um because Valkyrie does have to spin up and needs spin up time. And because the upper deck hates horizontals, I'm going to give it to P1.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, Lindsay, your thoughts, Valkyrie versus P1?
2: Oh, my first inclination was to say Valkyrie, but I was not you know, factoring in the upper deck into my uh theory i am still gonna go with valkyrie just because that weapon doesn't die i imagine that they've done improvements over the off season to improve the spin up time and once that thing gets going it it, you can't kill it and i just don't think p1 has the uh ability to really knock them out so if anything i think it'll go to a judge's decision and if Valkyrie, you know, is able to get that weapon going, then I think they'll they'll win either way.
0: Interesting. Okay, Lindsay, let's stay with you uh, for the next fight: Huge versus rookie bot Riptide. Your prediction there?
2: Dang, um, Huge.
0: Okay, short and sweet. I love it, Chris. Uh, huge versus Riptide. Your your thoughts? Huge. All right, Kyle. And will
3: this be a unanimous a unanimous prediction? Or are you uh, going to be going with the rookie? It's so hard to say on this one, honestly, because like, um, it's a big what? No, I'm I'm gonna go with huge, huge. Yeah, unanimous, huge. Huge.
0: Okay. All right, uh, Kyle. Let's stick with you. Fusion versus Cobalt's the return of Cobalt. Um after after uh, a little break and uh, fusion are kind of two uh, two weapons two headed uh robots your your thoughts there
3: oof uh i'm going to i'm going to go with the 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 cobalt yeah i think it's going to be cobalt interesting
0: okay uh lindsay your your thoughts uh fusion versus cobalt
2: um no offense to Fusion, I just feel like we didn't see a ton of reliability in that bot last year, um, and Cobalt has struggled not last year because they didn't compete, but two years ago because the floor was its own worst enemy. Um, but now that that is more or less solved, you know, I'm I'm gonna give it to Cobalt. Interesting.
0: Okay, Chris, uh, take us home. Fusion versus Cobalt. Your prediction.
1: Ooh, uh, I'm
2: going to go... This is going to
1: be a fun one just to watch, I think. Assuming that, that Fusion has uh, worked out some of those kinks, if it's, if it's up, it's ready to go. But I, I do think that this one is likely to go to Cobalt just based on that that rock, paper, scissors. Got it. All right, Chris, uh, let's stay
0: with you. Two of the hardest hitters in the field,
1: Black Dragon versus
0: Ice Wave, your prediction.
1: Luke, would you, would you say that this match is a song of ice and fire? Ah! Oh my god, that's good,
2: Chris. I love it. Uh,
1: I think that this one—it depends on if House Targaryen really has their stuff together. I—I um, I, this is a, this is a this is a match that I think Black Dragon is going to be able to to hand out. I don't anticipate this one's going to go to a judge's decision. Let's just say. Okay.
0: Uh, Kyle, I'd love to get your thoughts Black Dragon versus Ice Wave
3: Black Dragon It's athletic It's fast It's not trying to do anything fancy with its weapon It is modern In every sense of the word I just gotta Give it to Black Dragon Uh, I don't think Ice Wave Is a uh, Tenable design anymore
0: Mm, okay and Lindsay, uh your thoughts black dragon versus ice wave
2: i'm just gonna echo uh those same sentiments and say black dragon but i'm really excited to see ice wave and i i hope that they win because i think that that's still like it's one of the og bots that i still really enjoy seeing so um yeah there's that
3: and the new paint job looks sick like it looks really really cool but yeah, they're going to get eaten up by Black Dragon.
0: Uh, Lindsay, let's stick with you uh, for this one. Uh, I would say arguably one of the harder ones to call on the fields. Witch Doctor versus Duck. Your thoughts there.
2: Yeah. Thanks for uh, starting me off on this one. <laughs> um. Oh, God. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I when in doubt give it to the kinetic weapon i guess so i'll say witch doctor um and i love witch doctor and i love the gallatees and i love everybody on that team and i you know i'm always rooting for them to to even you know get get the nut but i part of me really hopes that duck wins cuz I, I i'm just so excited i, I we really you know felt the the their vacancy last year um so i really want to see duck do well and succeed so this is aaron catling if you're listening to this this is a very cruel very cruel pairing and uh, i hold you responsible so thank you thank you for making me choose between uh two bots that are so beloved <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh chris uh, your thoughts on this fight which doctor versus duck your your prediction
1: I yeah I totally agree. Uh, there, I feel like we all lose this match, but um, I'm I'm just like Duck has a special place in my heart. No offense, Witch Doctor. I love you guys. You drive awesome. Your bot is awesome. But I really I think that like um, I think that I see Duck in in, in a finals. I, I I wanna I want that frickin duck to win i don't know how else to say it so i'm gonna go with duck
0: okay good um and kyle your thoughts witch doctor versus duck
3: uh duck will fly but it will not die uh so i believe it is going to go all three minutes judge's decision for witch doctor
0: Ooh, okay. All right, Kyle, uh, let's get your thoughts on our main event of the night, Copperhead versus Lockjaw.
3: I I don't know. I really don't. This is um, two very evenly matched bots in a lot of ways. I do not like betting against Donald Hudson in any scenario, though. So I'm going to give it to... Uh, Lockjaw and Donald Hudson.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, Lindsay, your thoughts on the main event? Copperhead versus Lockjaw?
2: This is a a really hard one. They're pretty evenly matched, but I'm going to say Copperhead.
0: Mm, Okay. And Chris, your thoughts on the main event?
1: I've actually thought about this one the most.
2: I... (sighs)
1: I does anyone feel that the main event is just a little lackluster? Hmm. Um that's an interesting thought. I mean like
0: uh say say more about that. You, do you not say that, you know, Copperhead and Lockjaw well, are top
1: tier bots? So, no, don't. Like I don't want I don't I don't want to I don't want to put down either bot. I you know, I think Copperhead has proven that they are a compact, dense, and explosive bot, but you know, uh Lockjaw they are um you know donald has kind of built this as as one of like the the old timers of the sport you know the the bot itself lockjaw it's like it's iconic but i don't know if it's a a main event bot um i think that you need to prove yourself in the finals a little bit more before we, what we what we should be looking at for for main events are you know top 16 bots um i i don't know I, but let's let's just forget that maybe i'm ruffling feather, feathers here and i i will say that i think that copperhead is built to fight bots like lockjaw um it's again it's 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 nimble it's compact that that weapon hits so hard and lockjaw has four massive targets on it and if they're able to get either of at either of those it's you know, it's really game over for Lockjaw.
0: So, Chris, you're going to go with Copperhead, is that right?
1: That's right. But does does anyone else feel the way I do about this main event? Um
3: No, this is a fight I want to see.
1: No, I agree. It's yeah. a fight I want to see, but is it a main event? I okay, all right, all right, all
0: right. Uh Chris, I, I have a theory about main events. And listen, the next time we have Aaron Catling on, we can we can ask Aaron. Um, but I feel like main events are for the storylines, like the main storylines. Um, You know, like I feel like at the end of the season, they kind of figure out where all the storylines were going um, and they they pick kind of like dominant stories to to sit in the main event. I feel like with Copperhead, it's kind of like the young guns, you know, coming up um, really hungry for a win lockjaw, you know, this kind of um, just just veteran in the sports continues to come back incredibly smart builder. But kind of like an old lion, you know what I mean. Um, and 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 you know, these two bots were perhaps evenly matched last season, but this season maybe we're seeing kind of the ascendance of uh, of the young guns, you know. Perhaps um, I I would I would probably give this to Copperhead. I know that I'm not uh, participating in snap decisions, you know, uh, this season. But uh, but yeah, I, I could I could see the Copperhead storyline developing over, over the season. For sure, okay, uh, Chris. Let's stick with you for our YouTube exclusive fight. Uh, Claw Viper versus part of my French, Chris. Uh, <clears throat> it's not for uh, you know. It's it, it doesn't really counter your score, but uh, curious to, to get your thoughts here. Uh, Claw Viper, part of my French. Uh, your
1: your prediction. <laughs> I um, my see for the YouTube exclusive fight. My prediction is um. This is going to be this is an ASMR uh, fight, right? Because it's a YouTube exclusive.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah. Part of my French uh, comes out and its main weapon is uh, eating pickles slowly. Yes.
1: (laughs) If that's the case, I'm throwing all my money on pardon my French. (laughs) Okay, Uh,
0: Lindsay, your thoughts on the YouTube exclusive fight.
2: Um for this I'm strictly going on who has more experience, you know, driving this particular bot. So I'm gonna say claw viper. Okay, claw viper.
0: Kyle, take us home. Uh last prediction of the night, Claw Viper versus Pardon My French.
3: Wee wee, wee wee, the drum. It spins up. It spins up fast. Wee oui, wee. Oh,
0: oui. I hate everything about that, Kyle.
3: <laughs> I know. I know you do. Um I'm going to go ahead and give this one to the Pardon My French. Uh, I, I think that the Kinetic Energy is going to win it. And I think we're going to get big hits. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I really hope we get a pin from Zoot. So I'm going to go with Pardon My French.
0: Good. All right. That wraps up this week's edition of Snap Decisions. Look for our post on Facebook later this week to send us your
1: predictions. After the break, our interview with Calvin Eba, sponsored by Max Amps. The following interview is brought to you by Max Amps and the company's new exclusive line of combat robotics batteries called Max Combat. Max Combat battery packs are built in the U.S. and designed for both durability and performance for combat robotics. Max Combat batteries come with custom wraps, including your team's logo, internal hard skins for extra protection, puncture-resistant wire sleeves, and a custom metal Max box for charging and storage. Check out the Max Combat section at MaxAmps.com.
0: This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Madcatter driver Calvin Eba. Calvin is a mechanical engineer who lives in Southern California and works for Northrop Grumman. Combat robotics fans known for Lynx, the world's most dominant beetleweight, with 10 first place finishes across the U.S. In December, Calvin drove Lynx to undefeated victory at the 2021 Norwalk Havoc Finals, defeating Top Bots Vespula, Project Liftoff. Eruption, and Silent Spring to take home the Golden Brett Award and $10,000 cash. We're catching up with Calvin after his BattleBot Season 6 debut, where he drove Madcatter to a decisive win over Yeti. We're looking forward to getting into all of these topics in the hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Calvin.
4: Hi guys, great to be here.
0: I am so excited uh, that we uh, we have you on the show. This has been an interview that we've been looking forward to for the longest time. And I have to say, just like a preview going into it, I am like so excited that there are so many questions from the fans about Lynx um, because it is... It's such an amazing robot it's kind of like we get to talk to the bite force of beetleweights which is like really cool so um so i'm, I'm really really looking forward to uh, to getting into all of the questions about links. but first off um i
4: would love to learn a little bit more about you yeah it's super cool that a uh, beetleweight gets that much attention yeah the,
0: the diehard fans of the sport like really love links, and i think that's really cool um, Cause it really shows kind of like how the, the sport is maturing, you know, especially among the fan base um, and that they're finding other outlets, you know, to get really, really excited about like, uh, like your, your design. So, um, cool. I would love to start by, by understanding your origin story. So like, can you take us all the way back to when you got started in the sport? Like how old were you and what was your entry point, um, into combat robotics?
4: Yeah. So I remember watching it on comedy central when I was like six or five. And, uh, actually my mom didn't like me watching it because it's too violent. Um, so that's kind of funny that I'm doing it now, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I've always just been into like building stuff with Legos. Um, like all the Lego creations I made had to, um, like move or had some kind of like mechanism or, or gear, uh, related thing to it. Um, that, that was always the most exciting part for me. Um, and then it led to other hobbies like uh, RC cars and uh, mountain biking. I like the the very mechanical side of mountain biking, like suspension and all the like hydraulic shocks and seat posts and forks and stuff. Um, and then I went to Cal Poly Pomona for uh, mechanical engineering, and there I just did a bunch of bunch more mechanical projects. Um, it's a great school because we get to do more projects rather than um, really focus on like theoretical stuff. Um, So I built things like a, like a ping pong ball trebuchet or no golf ball trebuchet and a ping pong ball cannon and a plastic injection molding machine. Um, And I also uh, was the president of the human powered vehicle team. So basically uh, designed and built our own recumbent bicycle Um, and it was, a engineering competition across other colleges too. So, uh, we got to race everyone in an endurance race and a sprint race at the end of the year. So yeah, that's just kind of my mechanical background. Um, and then my last probably two years of college, I knew about, uh, like the lower weight categories, uh, with fighting robots. And it looks like something I like, well, it looked like something I really wanted to do. Um, it looked like a lot of fun. Um, so I go, uh, down the YouTube rabbit hole and watch a bunch of beetle weight and ant weight videos and, um, kind of dream up, um, what I would build myself, but I never had enough time to actually do it until I finished college. So right after college, I started designing, um, my own ant weight robot. I called it failure mode after, cause I really liked, um, Aaron's, uh, robot, um, margin of safety. Uh, I thought that was a really cool name. Um, and, uh, yeah, then I competed at, uh, one of Martin Mason's events in Pomona or at Mount Sac. It's right across the street from, uh, Cal Poly Pomona where I went to school. Um, and I ended up winning that event. Um, so I won my first event with my first robot, which is, I think a, a really great entry. I can't get any better than that. So I was really enthusiastic about, you know, designing a, a beetle weight. Um, so I designed links and I ended up winning my first event with that as well. Wow.
0: That's amazing.
4: Now, um, I just have to go back to this, uh, golf ball trebuchet.
0: Cause I'm <laughs> so interested in that, like what, what is involved in designing a golf ball a trebuchet and does that scale up to like softballs and bowling balls? And, you know, I guess, let's see, what, what else can I think of that are round? Uh, I don't know, like cannonballs, <laughs> you know, like, uh, is, is it, is, are like the design principles the same?
4: Yeah, it's all the same. So, uh, when I was researching it, I was actually like looking up like the, the pumpkin chunking, uh, trebuchets. Cause I mean, I saw those on TV and I knew, um, they're like really big and, uh, through things really far. So I, uh, modeled one after that actually. And, uh, for the assignment, our, uh, trebuchet, like the, the base of it had to be a one foot by one foot by one foot, um, or fit within a one foot by one foot by one foot size restriction. Um, so I, I did a bunch of research and found a design that kind of optimized that. So it got the weight like two feet high because the arm was about a foot long and then it was completely inverted. So, um, stood up like upside down and then it kind of, um, was on a whole sliding track thing. Um, and then I used a bunch of ball bearings, so it rotated really smoothly. Um, but a lot of what went into it was just testing, um, I did like a solid two weeks of testing to try to get it from, uh, you know, going like 14 feet to 104 feet consistently. Um, it wasn't a requirement to go that far, but I figured I would because I could.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Um, I I think one of the really cool things that you're describing is, you know, how your college experience like really taught you how to build things practically and kind of like think about them methodically. I mean, how much of what you learned in college transferred over into the design of your first combat
4: robot? Uh, I'd say college just kind of showed me how to use engineering tools better like uh calculate like when things are going to break or uh um kind of give a little bit better of a uh the background behind like design decisions but i think a lot of the like physical uh and experience like designing and building things happened kind of before college uh just because i'd always be building stuff at home with my dad or uh you know, random hobbies um, outside of college or outside of school. Um, and I,
0: I, you know, like there's so many people who listen to this podcast who see links and you know, like they're inspired to build their own robot. Um, there's a lot of people who are right on the verge of building their first beetle bait, You know, um, how how did you how did you approach that design challenge? Um, and I mean, I, I guess like have your designs always been dominant? Like, do you have a, have you always had like a better win loss record, you know, um, than, than I guess more wins than losses, you know, like how, how do you kind of like engineer that success in, into your designs? Let's see.
4: Um, I mean, for the first version of links, I just kind of got all the, the bog standard beetle weight parts. So like the 22 millimeter planetary motors from servo city and, uh, 2836 prop drive motor from hobby King. And then, um, just kind of started from there. I knew I wanted like a four wheel drive vertical spinner. Um, and then to save, uh, weight for the frame, I just kind of made the weapon wider. So it would fill that area between the like two kind of inner frame rails. Um, so that's kind of how the, the design of links came to be yeah i think whenever you start it's always good to just kind of copy someone that uh or copy a bunch of people that kind of know what they're doing at least um just to get your footing and then from there you can figure out oh this can be lighter or this needs to be heavier or more robust um, and then you just kind of keep tweaking until you get what you want
0: Got it. Now, um, I, I'm i curious, fast forwarding a couple of years to your BattleBots debut with Mad Catter, How did that happen? So like, was Martin putting together like a super team of the best combat robot builders in Southern California? You know, like, how did you, how, how did, how did you connect, you know, with Martin? And at what stage, I guess, of the BattleBots journey, I guess, did, did you... Um, start building with him?
4: Yeah, so Mason had a team together already like with uh, Emmanuel Carrillo um, who uh, built Big Dill. He'd also designed uh, Warhawk and Cat uh, King and the first version of uh The first version of Madcatter. Uh, the Mad um, so they're already ready to go to uh, King of Bots in China. Um, but the schedule got kind of mixed around so that BattleBots came first. So um, Mason kind of applied last minute to BattleBots and then um, well, I think he applied earlier, got in, and then had to decline because they overlapped with King of Bots. And so he kind of reapplied and became as alternates. But um, he wanted to bring a flywheel hammer and I just happened to post in, uh, the Facebook combat robotics group, um, uh, asking if anyone's done a flywheel hammer. Um, so he, and he uh, remembers me from, you know, his events. I keep winning stuff. Um, so he's like, Hey, this guy's pretty good. Uh, I'm sure he knows how to design a robot and, uh, make it good. Um, so he recruited me onto the team. It turns out flywheel hammer is a terrible idea. It's, Uh, flywheel (laughs) has to be stupid heavy and it's everything's spitting the wrong direction. And, um, it yeah, it would be just be way overweight. So we, uh, I just designed a a hammer just with a, uh, a bunch of reduction. Um, we use three brushless motors and, um, just kind of put it on a switch and called it good.
0: Yeah. Um, can you talk about your journey at BattleBots so far? Um, you know, 2021 Mad Catter first kind of fight of the season. It looks amazing. You know, has the robot gone through a lot of revisions since its debut? And can you kind of talk about how it's, how it's changed over time?
4: Yeah. So, I mean, everyone thinks we like made a ton of changes, uh, last year because we did so much better than the year before. Um, but that's just because we had all the vertical modules from China. Um, so it's the same chassis, like, so it's the robots built in three parts, right? So it has the two drive pods on the sides with the lifter arms and then the center weapon module that can get swapped out. So we brought the, the hammer module to BattleBots in 2019. Yeah. And then, um, the two vertical modules were already shipped to China. Um, so in 2020, uh, BattleBots, we had all the modules. So we had, uh, our vertical, uh, plow module, then the regular vertical module. And then we had two hammer modules as well. Um, so we, uh, we used all of them, um, or, well, we used the, the plow hammer and the uh not the other hammer though um yeah uh so it was basically the same exact robot um it's just we had uh one year's worth of experience with it but also one year's worth of damage to the frame um so that kind of kind of evened out we did pretty good um and then for this year we completely redesigned it um so now instead of having four brushes motors one per wheel uh, we have six brushless motors. We put two motors uh, per wheel on the front and then one motor per wheel on the back. Uh, we do this because most of the weight in a vertical spinner is towards the front and rests on the front wheels. Um, so that gave us a lot of power. We're really happy with the performance when we're testing around. Um, it handles almost like a beetle weight where, uh, you know, most heavyweights, handle kind of like boats where you start to turn and then nothing really happens. And then a few seconds later, it starts to turn and then you stop turning. And then a few seconds later, it, it stops turning. Um, so we definitely wanted to, to kind of, um, to, to freshen up the, the, we definitely wanted to make the drive more snappy. Um, so I think we did that this year. Uh, with more motors, um, they're kind of the drop is inspired by uh, British robots like Spectre or Quantum or Beta, Beta, um, where you have just a kind of a tiny pinion gear on the motor, and then you have a big gear on directly on the wheel. So the motor shaft just kind of hangs outside of the robot and contacts the big gear on the wheel. It's uh, super simple, and it allowed us to shed a lot of weight. Uh, out of our gearboxes. So that made room for the additional motors. Um, And it left a lot of room in the chassis too for uh, batteries and speed controllers and whatnot. Um, Another big improvement this year with the drive is that the wheels aren't connected to the armor. So last year they're doubly supported. Um, So both outside and the inside of the wheel were supported, kind of like bite force. Um, But that meant if we took a hit from uh or on the armor it had a pretty good chance of binding up the wheel as well um so now our armor is all shock mounted kind of like tantrum um so we have these big rubber isolators um and big bolts that hold the armor on um, but there's a nice like one and a half inch gap between the armor and the wheels so our armor would have to bounce or deflect like one and a half inches into the robot before it hit anything critical um, so that really helped with, uh, durability, um, especially in the upcoming fights that you'll see, um, let's see, oh, for the weapon, we, uh, went from two outrunner motors that were, uh, I think they're like 80 something, 80 millimeter diameter motors, um, to three large inrunner motors. So basically went from two to three motors. And then also the motors are bigger. Um, so that really helps with our weapon spin up, um, with our, uh, with the disc that we ran in the Yeti fight, we can get up to a good speed in probably like four seconds and then no, really, really high top speed in probably eight. Um, but before the fight, we're having trouble with the gears on the motors because they would slide off the shafts and, uh, just there there wasn't enough tooth engagement to, uh, to keep the gears happy. So they ended up, uh, stripping the gears. Um, and it, once one gear went, it ruined like all four gears. Um, and we we're kind of running out of spares before the, the Yeti fight. So we ended up having to, to weld the gears to the shaft and luckily that held. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of worrying how, uh, how close we were coming to the deadline, uh, to our to our first fight yeah other than that um oh we have the weapon all off to one side because our weapon motors are so much larger and so much longer um but that kind of let us put the lifter on the right side of the weapon um so it kind of looks symmetric if you uh if you squint really hard you know the the weapon's kind of on the left side or the, the driver's side of the robot and then you have the arm on the on the right side but it looks pretty good. It doesn't look too awful.
0: No, it looks awesome. It looks really cool. Um, I uh, just have a couple more questions about Catter before I jump into links and then all of the many listener questions about links. Um, so um, when, when I think of you as a competitor in this sport, I think of really great driving and, uh, clearly you're a talented builder, but like uh, on the driving side, you know, how do you become a great driver? Where does that come from? Like, did you get your start with RC cars, but then hone it somehow, you know, with combat robots, do you have a test box in your house? Like
4: basically how does one become a top tier driver in this sport? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a top tier driver. I think, uh, like Matt and JMO and people that drive control bots are probably way better. Um, but uh i mean i don't have a test box at home so i just drive at events um the rc car thing might have helped a little bit but i was never a great driver with those either um so i mean i think just kind of getting over the first few like fight jitters um and then it becomes you know more uh Little easier to concentrate and uh not quite as as jarring every time you uh fight someone in the box
0: the kind of wild thing about battle bots is that um almost nobody has a box that's safe enough to test a battle bot in so it's like you know you've got drivers who have a cumulative like nine minutes of uh like actual fight time per year um which is just, just boggles my mind. Um, like how, how do you get like mad catter practicing? Like, I know you can drive it around without the weapon connected, but like, doesn't the physics change, you know, like when you, when you turn on the weapon, like, does it change that much? I mean, or, or can you, can you practice it? Like, I guess in a parking lot and do pretty well with it. I mean, I've, I've just honestly been curious about this just cause I've seen like the mad catter drive videos and stuff before. Um, so like, how, how, how does that work?
4: Yeah. So, uh, luckily we have a makerspace with kind of a lot of room. Um, so we will like move all the table, all the work tables out or work benches off the, out of the shop and then drive on like the painted concrete surface, which is you know it's close enough to the battle box floor. It's a painted surface. Um, so that's kind of nice, but yeah, it's way different with the weapon going, um, drives way worse, obviously. Because of all those gyroscopic forces, um, so we do a tiny bit of testing with the weapon going. Uh, we have a one and a half inch like uh, polycarbonate blast shield that we stand behind. So uh, we'll do a little bit of driving behind that, um, but yeah, honestly, it's not much. It's and it's we're not like chasing anything while the weapon's going. Uh, I think that would help out a lot, but it's just not safe
0: yeah interesting
4: um, last question
0: about, about Madcatter um, so everyone knows you as the Madcatter driver can you talk about your role on the team in the off season and your role on the team in the pits
4: like at BattleBots like what else do you do other than drive Madcatter so um, off season uh, we like to take it pretty easy uh, we don't really touch the robot um, until BattleBots says hey we have an event Uh, for at, on this date, um, then we kind of start thinking about the robot. Um, it lets us do other things like, uh, play with, play around with three pound robots or Mason does rockets and stuff. Um, but once we start going, then I usually do, uh, kind of the more detailed design, I'd say. Um, so I'll design the drive gearboxes and the weapon gearbox. Um, and I kind of help with the general layout, but then we hand it over to Emmanuel Carrillo to do the the big design of the, like the frame and chassis. Um, he's really fast with all that stuff and he's just amazing. Um, but like I designed all the armor, um, this year. So the, we have the wraparound wedge for horizontals and, uh, we have some really cool kind of, angled side armor um for deflecting spinners on uh on the sides and then i designed our new pontoons uh i mean we call them pontoons instead of wedgelets because they're not quite as uh sharp and pokey and skinny um yeah so i designed those we like those a lot because they the glide over all the killsaw slots and over all the cracks and uh gaps a lot better than really sharp and stabby stuff.
0: Got it. Cool. Um, all right. I would love to transition over into links and then we're going to jump right into the listener questions. Um, so like uh, 2021 Norwalk Havoc finals links, like basically the best version of links that we've ever seen. It's the apex design in beetle right now in the U S can you give us a download on the specifications, you know, on links, you know, um, The types of motors that you're running like you know basically your kind of design philosophy that kind of stuff um with lynx um can we get kind of like a technical description of what makes it such a winning robot
4: yeah so lynx is a four-wheel drive vertical spinner um it's about eight inches square um weapons about four inches in diameter um but i designed it to be a really drivetrain heavy robot um so I have, well, in SoCal, we have steel floors. So uh, I like to run a lot of magnetic downforce. Um, so I probably have like, I don't know, 15 pounds of magnetic downforce. Because I like how uh, like snappy it makes the acceleration. Um, so basically, I had to have a drivetrain that would take all those impacts. Because um, with like 15 pounds of magnetic downforce, every impact either I dish out or I get hit with, I have to take directly to the drivetrain and directly to the gears. Um, so I'm running the mercury box gearboxes, uh, from Izzy right now. And those have been great. Um, uh, you have really big gears. And then I have, uh, belts going from those gearboxes to the front and the back. Um, I had to increase the, the tooth size. So of the belts, because I could, uh, um, I'm uh, stripping out the the old ones, and even now I have enough power to strip out these. But uh, yeah, so it's a mostly a drivetrain heavy robot. I have 28 millimeter motors um, for the drive on each side. Um, that's kind of the same diameter that you, you'd use in a 12 pound robot. Um, and then for the weapon, I just have a pretty standard prop drive 2836. Um, and then, uh, that belted to the front egg beater. Um, I changed the egg beater material from S7 to 4340, uh, just because it kept snapping on me. Um, I had to make the weapon much lighter because I invested so much weight into the drivetrain. Um, so even though it was okay before S7 wasn't uh, good enough with the thinner weapon, And then um, the rest of the chassis is UHMW. It's all milled out um, and it's really light. And then the top and bottom are carbon fiber. Uh, The top kind of center plate is aluminum because I have a 4-in-1 ESC that's thermal padded to the top. Um, So basically that little tiny 4-in-1 ESC, basically there's four ESCs on one chip. It gets really hot because there's just so much power going through it. Um, so I have that heat getting dissipated on the top plate and then the weapon spinning pushes a bunch of air over the top plate and that cools it. So after the fight, that top plate will be like nice and cool. And then it'll kind of heat soak. Um, basically the the weapon's not spinning, but the, the speed controller is still hot. So that top plate will get really hot, uh, as I walk back to the pits. Um, so that's kind of a, a neat design. Um, And then I have titanium wedgelets and a titanium wedge for different opponents. So new for, uh, the, I think November and December Norwalk, I had these wider titanium wedgelets. Um, they're meant to kind of glide over all the cracks and seams in the, in the wooden floor a little better. Um, they were still pretty sharp the first time in November. Um, but I kind of rounded off the corners a little bit, and it worked really well in December.
0: That's so cool.
4: Oh yeah, and it uh, it runs on 6s. So most three-pound robots will run either 3s, so three lipo cells, uh, or four lipo cells. But I run six because. Um, <laughs> uh,
0: that's so cool. I mean, I I love seeing the inside of links. Like, um, it's just really amazing to go into the pits at norwalk and um and to see the insides of that robot and really like kind of hear your design thinking uh, about it just because it is the bite force of beetleweights and that's really really cool um we have so many listener questions about links. I'm I'm going to turn it over to Chris, who um, <laughs> who who can begin to uh, chip away at some of these questions. Um, Calvin, uh, I just want to wish you continued luck. Like you are one of my favorite drivers and builders in the sport, and um, yeah, can't wait to see what is coming next. So, uh, Chris, take it away.
4: Thank you.
1: All right, Calvin. Hi, Chris. I have a, a a very important listener question to kick things off. You might be familiar. This question comes from a fan of the pod, Wayne Eba, who wants to know where it has it. You come from a talented and supportive family. Can you tell us how this may have influenced your life path? Love mom and dad.
4: (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, my mom and dad and my brother are all very supportive. Um, we have all our little, uh, or all different hobbies. And, um, yeah, we always, I think all of us get really invested in them and, uh, it's a lot of fun to see what each other do and kind of cheer everyone on. Um, you know, they've, uh, they, uh, yeah, really, they really like to see us do stuff that we do well and, uh, it makes it more fun that way. Um, I always like to come to my competitions too. So uh, they'll be at all the SoCal events. And then my dad came to the uh, Norwalk final event, which is a lot of fun. I had a pit crew there, so it made uh, wrenching on the bot a little easier. Um, Yeah, uh, my parents are great. What are some
1: of these other hobbies that the family's into?
4: Uh, Let's see. My mom's a really good watercolor artist and graphic designer. And my brother has his own, uh, business or he's started a couple of his own businesses. Um, he, uh, let's see. Okay. So my, most of my family are artists, so I'm kind of the only engineer in the family. Um, so yeah, my mom does watercolor and graphic design. Um, uh, my dad studied, a, as a mechanic or as a industrial designer, so he has a bunch of cool uh you know hobbies and and talents like uh he used to paint cars and now he uh pinstripes everything in the house and uh we have a couple like flaming painted fish in the house as well that he's uh done and then my brother he uh used to make wonder woman tiaras out of brass and uh they're all like silver soldered together um super like legit screen accurate ones they're all you know mirror polished and looked amazing um he also made wonder woman bracers and uh sold those on etsy for a while and then uh, he also made infinity stones that light up and he sold those on etsy as well and made a made a good amount um and then now he makes his own jewelry so um it's all kind of anime inspired jewelry which is super cool but it's not loud and flashy and shouts, look at me. I watch anime. It's uh, very like subtle and uh, it's really cool. Cause it looks, I mean, it's real jewelry, so it's looks very professional. Um, but uh, you know, if, if you know the anime series and you recognize what it is, then, then, you know, some pretty cool stuff.
1: That's pretty cool. It's like the whole family is very left brain, very right brain. Um, it sounds like a good balance that you had, that you uh, got to grow up with.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, combat robotics has been kind of fun because I get to pull from from both sides. I get to, you know, flex my engineering muscles and uh, design a robot that works really well, but also add some uh, aesthetic cues to it that I don't think other builders really uh, concentrate on. Like a my one pound robot slipstream. It's just kind of like a really fast robot that has a, the Lynx drivetrain in it, but it's a one pound robot. Um, that's all modeled with a bunch of curves, and um, it's meant to look like a supercar. has a bunch of you know like air intakes and headlights and fenders and um, a rear diffuser and exhaust and taillights and wings everywhere. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun just to do something that's more artsy than um well, artsy and mechanical
1: yeah I mean you gotta you gotta like both put up and shut up but you also got to you know um flaunt those uh, bright feathers when you get a chance it's what makes uh you know the 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 overall sport uh, more watchable and, and more fun I have um so I have a, a series of questions here from battlebot super fan Lindsay Urko, uh, who wants to know did you enjoy the apple cider donuts I brought to the Norwalk Havoc Finals? <laughs>
4: <laughs> of course. Uh, we always appreciate the donuts.
1: <laughs> this is this is true. Lindsay did go out of her way to bring, like, good upstate New York apple cider donuts. Um, most of the time, I think that we were trying to foist them upon Don Dorfler. Uh, but it just turns out whoever won you know, somewhere in the realm of ten or $15,000 also got to take home about half a dozen, uh, you know, apple cider donuts. And I think that that's really, that's the real prize.
4: Yeah. I mean, that's, that was the
1: highlight. <laughs> uh, Lindsay goes on to say, uh, did you, Uh, in- <laughs> no, n- no more about the apple cider donuts. Also, since you announced your retiring links, what is next on the table and will you give it another cat name?
4: Yeah. So I kind of decided to, um, retire links for a little bit. It's, I mean, things are never like, you know, perfect. You always find things that you want to improve and stuff, but, uh, actually links is pretty perfect right now. I can't really think of, um, a major like design flaw or design change that I want to incorporate. Um, so I'm kind of happy where it is. It's, it's nice. It doesn't take a lot of, uh, repairing after fights. Um, but, uh, it's kind of, okay. So on the East coast where I don't have my magnets, it's a good robot, right? But on the West coast where I do have magnets, it's just unfair. Uh, like to me, Norwalk or driving at Norwalk is just like super sluggish and it, nothing turns right or nothing turns like, you know, as fast as I'd like. And uh, it doesn't accelerate as fast as I'd like. Uh, it doesn't stop as fast as I'd like. Um, but with the magnets it does um, it looks like those uh, little sumo robots that you've probably seen on youtube where they're just like the match is over in a blink of an eye and they're just lightning fast and zip around the arena that's how i designed links to be and that's how it you know that's how it should be um, so it's kind of discouraging for new builders in on the west coast um, to have to kind of to have to keep up with me and fight links all the time. Um, so uh, yeah, I decided to to shelf links for a bit until um, you know, the competition catches up or uh, I'll, I'll still bring it out to like big events. Like I'll probably go to Norwalk havoc finals again, maybe with it. Um, but for now I'm going to concentrate on other robots. Uh, I want to build a three pound flamethrower robot. That's my next um, next project. I'm trying to get the ignition going correctly. Um, that's the hardest part: is trying to get the the flame to ignite every time. Um, it's a it's a vacuum robot actually. So it has a big propeller in the middle and uh, a skirt on the outside, so it sucks itself down to the floor. So at Norwalk, when I don't have my magnets, I still have uh, a couple. Of Extra pounds of downforce, um, and then I'll have a flamethrower as a weapon. So the exhaust from the fan actually feeds into the flamethrower. So oh, brilliant! The flame is kind of like gruff, where you get a lot of oxygen in there. Um, so it should be a pretty, uh, pretty hot and pretty big flame.
1: So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to learn a little bit more about this new bot design and, and what your thoughts are behind it. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump back to links for one second because. Um, do you do you think or do you know that Lynx would have like just a standing invitation to finals next year or uh you know has the league talked at all with you about whether that invitation would be there for you as last year's you know reigning three pound champ or do you have to qualify to get into the finals again for 2022
4: i mean i don't think uh, they would just let me uh, walk in there um I don't think Droopy got a free invitation, so I don't think I would either. Um, but I'll probably go in November again and and qualify. Oh.
1: Oh. I love I love the uh, you know, um the certainty. It's uh <laughs> November's the time to do it, I
4: guess? Uh I I guess uh, not. I mean, November's like really expensive to travel that then cuz it's right next to Thanksgiving. Yeah. The and then yeah, December is right. no better. So, I don't know what I'm doing.
1: Well, if you need Luke to drive for you, I think he's like Luke's like one and zero. So, um, if you want, you just. Ship.
4: I mean, that's a better record than I have.
1: <laughs> you could just ship uh, ship the thing over to Luke, and he'll he'll take care of it. Perfect. All right, but so a three pound. You now we don't really see a lot of flame bots in in the three pound division, like. So you have a bot that can essentially kind of vacuum itself to the floor. What, what are you using to like corral another bot or to, uh, you know, to, uh, to kind of focus where your flame is going and, and like, is it, is it like a control bot?
4: Yeah. So it'll be a control bot. It'll probably just have a wedge and some forks for different robots. Um, uh, not quite sure. I mean, it's not going to have a grabber cause I don't think I'll have weight for it. Um, The robot's going to have to be pretty big because I have a six-inch diameter propeller in the middle, so it's a six-inch hole, basically, of nothing in the robot. And then I have to fit a battery and drive motors and a big fuel canister in there, too. So um, I can't imagine I'm going to have a whole lot of weight to play with, so I'm kind of making it up as I go, Uh, but it'll probably be pretty minimal as far as, you know, front-end attachment goes
1: now with like the the sheer amount of debris that can build up in the norwalk boxes is there some kind of like air filtration system or like a hepa filter that you're putting over the six inch fan to like to kind of stop things from getting get jammed up
4: oh absolutely not so i'm expecting a ton of sawdust to be like you know thrown into the air Uh, i'm sure some of the sawdust will get passed through the flamethrower as well which should make some pretty cool sparks and you know add some Sparkly effects to the flame. Um, I mean, also I'll be shooting some of the debris towards the enemy because uh, it will be going out the front of the robot too. So who knows what will happen. <laughs>
1: um, and is there a name yet, or at least one that you're kicking around for this for this new bot?
4: Yeah. So sir, currently, it's uh, my mixtape.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so hot!
4: My mixtape is fire. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: man. Oh oh wow that is uh that's great mm-hmm. i love it yeah, it's not too obvious but it's funny a little bit all right let's get back to Lindsay's cat questions uh follow up from Lindsay: uh do you have cats and if you do what are their names
4: no i don't have any cats um other people on the team have cats um and like alan has a has fosters a few cats um But, yeah, I don't have any cats.
1: If you were to have a cat, what would you name it? Hmm. Besides my mixtape.
4: I haven't thought about this at all. Uh, You'll have to come back to me on that.
1: I think I'd name mine Chungus Blaze.
4: (laughs) So it'd have to be like a fat, like orange cat? Or (laughs) a green cat, like Sawblaze?
1: Yeah, it could be whatever. Okay. (laughs) Uh, It just has to flail a lot. That's all that matters. Um, all right. So I got a a question from Andrew Freetag, who writes, Hey, Calvin, congrats on your success with Lynx. In your opinion, why is Lynx so unstoppable? Is it your constant strive to better the pot? Or is it your ridiculously aggressive and unstoppable driving method? And are you afraid that you started the next Fingertech Beater Bar-esque meta design by being so successful with it?
4: Um, I mean... I think part of the success comes from a little bit of everything. Um, you know, my driving helps a little bit, but also uh, just the robot being super robust and uh, you know, that, that drivetrain train um, just never dies. At least now it doesn't. Um, and then, you know, that the, the speed of the robot really helps with the, the weapon engagement. And that's what gives me my, my huge hits as opposed to, the like weight of the weapon bar or the, the mo the power of the motor. I think I've, uh, might've made a new standard. I mean, it's not quite as standard as a, a, finger tech beater bar. Um, they're kind of expensive to make, but, um, yeah, they work really well. And, uh, what was his last question? Uh, well he,
1: yeah. So again, this was kind of like a three part question, but do you think that you've set the new meta design, uh, you know, like a like a finger tech beater bar because of the success of your of your weapons design
4: uh i wouldn't say the weapon so much but i think i hopefully will set uh, a new meta with the drivetrain um i mean a lot of robots just kind of have your you know standard drivetrain that will get them around and you know transport the weapon to where they want it but uh I want to see a lot more robots that move like sumo bots, you know, like really fast and zippy, just kind of, uh, accelerate in a blink of an eye sort of thing. I think that'd be really cool.
1: All right. I have a question here from pain, uh, trained team member, Drew Davis, who competes at Norwalk havoc with Jack move, bison and hyena who writes, what's up, Calvin. What's your philosophy when designing and building? And what's your philosophy when driving?
4: Yeah, so when uh, designing a building, I really concentrate on the drivetrain. Uh, I know a lot of people concentrate on the weapon first and then build the robot around it. But I like to do it the, the opposite way where, I mean, I have a general idea of what kind of weapon I want, but then I build the drivetrain uh, to, you know, the best it can, it can be. And then I, uh, you know, drive, build or design the robot, and then I just... Put whatever weight i have left in the weapon so uh, the weapon kind of ends up being almost the least important thing of the robot um yeah it's a lot different than other people um and then as for driving i just drive it like i stole it um i think i just point the weapon at the opponent and go and then try to do that as much as possible um yeah I just try to kind of keep the pressure on um with most robots that's that works out great except for Droopy Um, Droopy I have to have a different uh, tactic where uh, I don't attack all the time and I don't go Mach 9 with my hair on fire
1: Drew also wants to know and this is actually a fascinating question how do you think three 10 pound Lynxes would fare against Jameson Go and Megatron
4: um so, for sure, one Lynx would be in the air at all times. Um, and then probably all of the weapons would eventually break um, because they're hitting, you know, something three times their weight. Uh, if I ever got in Megatron's forks, uh, that robot would definitely be gone because there's not enough armor on Lynx to survive that. Um but you know megatron tends to hold pins pretty long uh when he spins up so i think the two other lynxes might be able to to get some good hits on the back of megatron uh during that time so i don't know oh also um you need three calvins driving for sure
1: all right i have a question here from lynx fan steve dufort who wants to know congrats What changes did you make to links between your 4-2 and showing in May to going undefeated in November and December?
4: So in May, I had issues with the drivetrain where uh, the pinions on my motors would uh, break off. Um, And that's just basically me not knowing how to solder pinions properly. So I fixed all those. um, And then... I have a softer 4340 weapon instead of a S7 weapon. So when I hit things like Brett or uh, other really hard hitting uh, robots, then it doesn't crack. That worked really well. Um, it also has needle bearings instead of uh, roller, or instead of ball bearings, um, which are just, they can take more load and they weren't uh, getting as crunchy as fast. And I needed to switch out my titanium weapon shaft for a steel one um as well so now i have a a hollow steel weapon shaft and then i also have those new uh wide titanium wedgelets that i talked about earlier and that really helped me you know glide over the the seams in the floor a little easier but still be able to to feed people into my weapon and um get underneath the people
1: i have another good links question here from matt davenport um, who is uh, interested in learning a little bit more about Lynx's wheels. When you decided to make wheels for Lynx that you knew would trash the floor at the Norwalk Havoc Arena, did you have a backup plan in case the organizer made you change them? And did any of your uh, competitors give you a hard time about them?
4: Uh, so no one's giving me a hard time about them yet. Um, I think all the competitors welcome innovation um, and they see how well it works and they're like, oh, maybe I should try that. Um, but a lot of people have designed them wrong. Um, in fact, most of the people have designed them wrong. Uh, cause I mean, if you look at like the eruption versus links fight right after they uh, replaced the floor, um, I don't have, I don't really cause any damage to the floor. There's like a bunch of little kind of, they look like little push pin marks. If you kind of, you know, if you stab a push bin into your wall a tiny bit and then remove it, it only goes about like, I don't know, a 64th of an inch deep, like something really tiny. Um, so there's a bunch of little tick marks in the paint, but there's no real damage. Um, what, the damage really happens when people design them like saw blades, um, where they actually cut into the floor and, you know, remove material from the floor. Um, they also don't get as much grip when you do that. So I think they, they get a bad reputation because other people have done a similar thing, but done it worse where, uh, they don't, um, actually get grip into the floor. They just tear up the floor. Um, but also I have different wheels for different purposes. So I have, uh, some foam wheels that I used last year, um, and actually used them in the silent spring fight. Um, so those are good. If I get hit in the back or get hit in the wheel, then just a chunk of foam gets taken out, but it's still generally wheel shaped. Um, and then I also have some rigid, uh, 3d printed nylon wheels with, uh, Lego tires glued onto them. Um, so I use those for whenever I'm on steel floors and I use magnets because I can't have a wheel that compresses with magnets or I'll just get sucked to the floor and, uh, not be able to move.
1: I'm uh, I'm I'm so fascinated to learn a little bit more about all the things that I've done wrong now with my second iteration of my robot because you've you've just disenchanted me. I I've borrowed uh, what I thought was some strategic designs from from Links, uh, but really what I'm just going to be now is some kind of crazy bot flailing and cutting through the floor in the middle of this box with gigantic titanium teeth, uh, wheels, but, uh, cool. <laughs>
2: we'll, we'll see how that Hopefully works not. out.
4: <laughs> oh, also, <laughs> also your drivetrain has to handle taking the abuse from more traction because normal like foam or, you know, rubber tires will just kind of slide on mm. the paint or on, slide on the, the plywood. But with these wheels, they'll actually dig in, and uh transfer all the shock into your drivetrain so your gearboxes have to be able to survive that too which is not something that a lot of people think about
1: probably shouldn't have gotten the plastic vex uh, gearboxes then um maybe we should pause this interview so i could just run down to the basement and rethink my entire robot for 2022 <laughs> all right well you know what I'll, I'll i'll worry about that tomorrow i have another question here from uh drew montalith uh Oh, I'm sorry. Drew Monteith. Calvin, you are a, a beast when driving anything. What's your inspiration for the design of Lynx? I know we talked about it a little bit, but do you want to summarize it with a sentence?
4: Uh, I'd say it's a combination of like K2, a um, little bit of bite force, but not really. Um, let's see. What other robots is it similar to? Uh, it turns out there's a lot of 12 pound robots that are pretty similar, um, that I didn't know about earlier, but this is
1: actually a good segue for Drew's next question, which is, have you considered building a 12 or 30 pound robot for Norwalk? And if so, what, what, what ideas do you have kicking around?
4: Um, so I have a 12 pound robot, uh, that I competed at competed with, um, here in SoCal. I actually built it with, uh, Danny who was my roommate at the time um, he's from or he was on Ribot but now we're, he works at SpaceX so we built a 12 pound robot together we called it uh, Maverick and Iceman so two robots but they're identical um, so we had a lot of fun with that let me guess hold on does does
1: one of them uh, play by the rules and the other one doesn't
4: Uh, t- no not really they're both the same
1: Calvin, do you do you understand where I'm coming from with that reference? It's a top gun reference. Yeah, I
4: know. We named the match top gun.
1: <laughs> Iceman plays by the rules. Maverick does his own
4: thing. <laughs> um unfortunately Danny didn't watch the movie, so I kinda <laughs> had to force the name on him because he didn't really get it either. Um, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. <laughs>
1: That's uh, you know what? As long as um, well, he could have been goose then, but yeah, uh, goose
4: kind of doesn't do so well in that, by the end of the movie. So that's why Spoiler I didn't. Spoiler alert, that. Calvin. <laughs> um,
1: for all those people out there that haven't seen Top Gun yet, yeah,
4: surprising amount. Um, my girlfriend
2: hasn't I, seen it either. I haven't seen Top Gun. yet. Oh
4: my god!
1: You haven't seen Top
2: Gun? No.
1: We're getting married this year, and you haven't seen Top Gun. <laughs> oh my
4: goodness (laughs) oh so the it's really hard to travel with travel with 12 pound robots well and 30 pounds uh i mean i'm at 50 pounds in my carry-on luggage with my three little three pound robot and spares so that's why i haven't brought anything bigger to norwalk yet
1: right on um drew's last question is lastly when you're when you're designing in cad do you typically run simulations on parts to determine the stress points
4: yes sometimes um so I never do uh, analysis to see if something will break. Um, well, rarely. I mainly do analysis to see which part of the part will break first. And then I'll you know, put more material in that area and then remove material from someplace that might be a little too overbuilt. Um, so I just basically try to make the part kind of evenly strong. But uh, that's as far as... I go with analysis. All
1: right, this is a great question here from Project Liftoff Captain Andrew Casimir, who wants to know if you had to build a new beetleweight robot that wasn't a vertical spinner, how would you defeat Lynx?
4: I think I'd design something similar to Droopy or uh, Skyline, like a, um, a horizontal spinner with lots of engagement. You know, Droopy, even though he doesn't travel very fast, he spins pretty slow. So, it allows bots like mine that are a lot faster to really like kind of get close to droopy. And, um, he ends up hitting like way far into the robot and, uh, doing quite a bit of damage to, to areas that no one else is able to reach or hit. Um, and then skylines, a, a similar robot that my friends have been trying to develop. Um, they have a couple different weight classes like dusk or, uh, horizon, I think, um, but basically, it's a two horizontal spinners on a on an arm, and then the arm is has a central pivot that attaches to like a, a drive base. So it's kind of think of Bloodsport, but spinners on the tip of its spinner. Um, so basically, that that arm spins around really fast with the little spinners on it, and it's able to to do quite a bit of damage to uh, robots. Just because the engagement speed is really high so I think something like that would do really well against Lynx. but uh they haven't built a three pound robot because they're afraid to fight me so they need to do that and then we'll fight see who wins
3: <laughs>
1: yeah sky skyline is nuts it's like um like if you were to have like a set of windmill nunchucks yeah 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 totally uh i when that when that bot showed up to norwalk uh last year I didn't I couldn't even wrap my head around it. I thought it was so cool. And especially with the way that 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 bar spun up um, without any power because of the two spinning blades at either end were just, you know, kind of creating that force. Uh, That's pretty wild.
4: Yeah, I think it has a a lot of promise. I can't wait to see what they do. Uh,
1: So Andrew's last question is and it's a big one. Do you believe that you set the new standard for beetle weight robots?
4: I think so. Um, I mean, I want the little robots or like the beetle robots to be more like similar robots with weapons. Uh, and I think Lynx is, is about as close as you can get to that. Um, so yeah, I think, I think more people are kind of going in that direction.
1: Voxel captain Michael shore wants to know how long does your average build take from rough idea to final product?
4: Usually builds take about three months. Uh, usually most of the time is just pouring over CAD, iterating the design, uh, on the computer. Um, I kind of optimize things way too much, so I end up doing way more CAD or I invest a lot of time in the CAD and then I usually have to kind of rush the build in about two or three weeks. Um, but luckily I have a pretty nice machine shop at my house and, uh, at work, so uh, yeah making parts is pretty fun
1: pardon my french team member ty little is curious about that beetleweight flamethrower bot coming along uh i think that we answered that a little bit uh but any other um any other things that you want to drop about when we should expect to see my mixtape this year
4: uh there's a bunch of events in socal that are happening like we're trying to do uh monthly events so i'd like to you know get it tested for that, um, or test at those events. And then, um, then I can invest the money in, in flying over to to Norwalk and competing there. Um, but I'm also trying to develop a a new drivetrain, a new drive gearbox that's more compact and, uh, hopefully pretty shockproof. Um, but it's, yeah, it's all taking, you know, longer than I expect. As usual,
1: uh, as all good designs should. Uh, my last question that I have here before I uh, pass you off to Kyle is from whiplash driver Matty Vasquez, who writes, hey, Calvin, how's your ferry weight coming along?
4: Yeah. So at the the recent monthly event, um, we were fighting 150 gram robots and one pound robots. And I don't have a, a working one pound robot or 150 gram robot now. Um so I was just kind of there hanging out. Um and I noticed how little repairs everyone was doing on their 150 gram robots and how much fun they had. Um so they inspired me to design a little 150 gram robot. And luckily I have all the parts. I have all the motors and speed controllers and um you know spare parts from my one pound robot builds. Um so I'm just using some of those parts to Build a little 150-gram robot. I designed it already. It took about an hour. It's great. Um, and, yes, yeah, it's a little tomb clone robot. Um, but, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I'll probably hand it off to my girlfriend or my dad or my brother uh, during events
3: and let them have some fun, too. All right, over to you, Kyle. Yeah, thank you very much. Hey, Calvin. I'm really glad that we get to talk and hang out. I've had a lot of fun following your story uh, with the Lynx versions as time has gone on and and watching you at a bunch of competitions and uh, finally getting to see you perform live at Norwalk Havoc. What was that? Last year was your first time there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's been really fun and it's great to sit down and actually get to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I have some more listener questions for you. But I have a a personal question that I wanted to ask first. A robot that you built that I don't think gets as much attention as Lynx is uh, one that I'm just totally fascinated by, uh, Slipstream, your one-pound robot. Um, Can you describe that a little bit for us and then tell us what it's like driving that thing? Because it looks like you have to have like beyond human reflexes to actually operate that machine. So explain that to our audience a little bit.
4: Yeah. So it's a completely stupid robot. Um, basically it's meant to drive like a sumo bot where, um, has, uh, you know, it's magneted to the floor and it has the same, uh, gearboxes in last year's links. Um, just with slightly smaller motors, like not really that much smaller, like, you know, four gram lighter motors, um, so basically a beetle weight drivetrain in a one pound robot. Um, and then I have, a little excuse of a vertical spinner in the middle. Um, basically it's just a, a, uh, really thin AR 500, uh, bar that's, uh, Loctited to the bell of a motor. And then that's in the front. Um, but the rest of the chassis is all 3d printed it's modeled, uh, to kind of look like a supercar has real big fenders, like yeah, really big flaring fenders over the front wheels and air intakes in the front and headlights and, um, little winglets going across the top and has a big diffuser and exhaust in the back, um, and tail lights. None of it actually does anything, of course, but it looks really cool, um, is just a opportunity to kind of model something more organic rather than all 90 degree angles. Um, yeah, so it just drives really fast and, um, yeah, it drives too fast where other robots will actually hit the the hub of the weapon instead of the tip of the weapon. So I'll just kind of bounce them around instead of getting good hits on them. Um, and, yeah, it's kind of crazy to drive. You just attempt to kind of point it in their general direction and then uh go full throttle and then you hit the wall on the other side and then you have to kind of figure out where you bounced and point it at the opponent again and go full throttle some more and yeah it's a it's kinda of crazy and it's ridiculous to drive. It's fun though. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> it looks completely ridiculous to drive. It when you see like uh, live streaming footage of it, it it really does like get across the bot the box in like le- like picoseconds, and you're like, Wait, where'd that go? Uh, it's amazing. Um, so good. I'm glad that you described it as a completely stupid robot because it it must be absurd to try to drive that thing.
4: Yeah. Um, Lynx is about that speed now too, but at least it's bigger, and I can see it a little easier and
3: the front's easier to identify interesting wow that's so interesting that you say that because links is faster now for sure but i wasn't even thinking about it as comparable to slipstream speeds so that's interesting that is interesting all right so thank you for um for humoring me on that question i've been curious about it for a while now we'll go on to some listener questions uh, this is an interesting kind of philosophical question from Chris Hori. How, if at all, did BattleBots and other robot combat, combat competitions affect your path through college and life currently? Um, and, and what do you think is like, like, what would you be doing differently now in your professional career and uh, through your college path if you never found combat robotics? So I explained earlier in the
4: pod, but uh, I started doing combat robotics after I graduated from college. Because uh, at that point I had more free time, um, so I picked this up as a hobby. Um, but so far it's just been a lot of fun. Um, it's it's a different way of thinking uh, when you're designing a combat robot versus something for work. Because you know for work you want to make sure that your part doesn't break or doesn't yield, but with combat robotics, you it's like one hundred percent certain that it will break or it will yield. Um, so you have to design your robot as if it were to break. And yeah, uh, you got you to figure out what those failure modes are and, um, and kind of design it so that your robot still works if it's half broken. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool engineering exercise. Um, that's a lot different than, than what I do for work.
3: A whole lot different, interesting. So it really hasn't had an effect on your career as of yet. Not too much, it's just fun to talk about. Yeah, do you think, uh, like, are there any kind of paths in life that you've seen through combat robotics? Maybe something that one of your one of your fellow competitors does that you, that uh, that is interesting, that's inspired you?
4: Yeah, I think what the Vasquez's do with all the show robots um, is pretty cool. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, it looks like a lot of work too and a lot of long hours because I don't think they get a whole lot of lead time. Um, But I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, I know a lot of people like uh, on the Witch Doctor and Hypershock team do uh, medical devices or same with like, you know, Aaron from Tantrum. Um, So I think that'd really be a really interesting uh, career path as well. Um, Yeah, I'm down to try different things.
3: Yeah, it is interesting. Like uh, a bunch of the Florida teams too are are into the medical device stuff, Um, which I think is really cool. I think it's an interesting kind of parallel to to building bots, right? You got to build things with no breakpoints that have got to be used forever within somebody's body. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, All right, so series of questions from Alexander Archer. A lot of them have already been answered, but uh, this one jumped out at me. Uh, Mad Catter took out yeti like it was nothing did you think you had a chance against uh, the new yeti or were you kind of worried about that fight what were your thought process going into that
4: um we weren't too worried uh i mean we were we knew what yeti <laughs> did last time um and i know this time is like you know completely resigned but they still had that super heavy drum in the front and we knew they couldn't spin that super fast or else they would just be gyring around everywhere um so we knew we had them, uh, you know, tip to tip we spun faster. Um, so I th- we we're fairly confident this season, I was worried about his driving. Cause you know, he's, he, he's pretty aggressive. Uh, I mean, so am I, but, uh, yeah, you know, I just wanted to make sure I didn't make uh, too many mistakes, but I think last year's mad cutter versus this year's Yeti would have been a really even battle. So I think like when the producers matched us up, they were kind of, they had that in mind. Um, You know, our, our weapon would probably go down halfway through the fight and, uh, and maybe they would keep going. Um, Who knows? But um, yeah, I think this year with all the improvements that we made, we just kind of outclassed them. I don't think they were prepared for that.
3: Yeah yeah i mean um this kind of leads me into his next question that i I think is worth asking here uh do you think the other competitors need to start looking at mad catter as a giant nut contender this year
4: yeah i think so um i mean i think this year we built a very balanced robot i mean that's my goal with lynx is to make a, a very balanced robot as opposed to like a weapon heavy robot um our our drivetrain uh was great this time um Actually, we did uh, break a bunch of motors in this fight. Um, so we, these motors are from, you know, 2019 BattleBots. So they've seen 2019 BattleBots. They've gone through King of Bots. They've gone through 2020 BattleBots. And now they're fighting again in 2021 BattleBots. So they have some miles on them. And they have a lot of impacts and a lot of, you know, you know a lot of uh, abuse taken. Um, so like we had a bunch of motor bells, like the magnet part, um, kind of wobble around and wobble loose. We had a bunch of shafts, motor shafts break. Uh, we had a bunch of magnets crack in the motor bells. Um, so, um, we had to kind of take apart all the motors and all the robots and, uh, battle harden them. We, we epoxied all the magnets so they wouldn't break as easily. And then we made new shafts that didn't have little secret clip grooves where uh, they could break. Um, We had to throw away a bunch of worn out motor bells that were a little wobbly. Um, And uh, we added more support in the chassis for the motor shafts. So we added an extra ball bearing. Um, So that, that really kind of was a wake up call in this first fight. You could tell by the end of the fight, we couldn't really turn right. Uh, We could only turn left. And, uh, we're going pretty slow. Uh, we probably only had two or three motors driving the robot. Um, the rest of the motors were either like freewheeling or dragging. Um, yeah. So we did fix that this fight. Um, but, uh, other than that, we didn't suffer too many, too much damage. Uh, we took some huge chunks out of Yeti though.
3: Yeah. Uh, massive chunks out of Yeti. Uh, the, the damage from that fight, thank you for sharing that link with us earlier. By the way, uh, it was pretty cool to look at. It was pretty, pretty cool to look at.
4: We bent their one inch titanium uh axle on their one of their front wheels like at
3: a <sighs> 45 degree angle. That's crazy, <laughs> it's totally crazy. All right, so Mammoth team member and uh, prolific East Coast builder Brandon Bennett Young, he has a few questions for you, but uh, first he says. Hey, Calvin, thanks for being an all around awesome human being to be around of the robots you saw at BattleBots, which was your favorite to look inside of and see how it works. Thanks, Brandon. You too.
4: Um, I really like uh, seeing Blip. Uh, I mean, I saw his little prototype last year at BattleBots um, and that, that was super cool. And um, yeah, seeing the, the big version was, uh, was so cool and just how they, they packaged everything into that weird triangle shape. Um, and then oh, I really like how they did the, the wedge across the front and kept the flipper kind of, kind of hidden and protected in the back. That was really neat. Um, it's cool seeing Riptide just because, you know, it's a similar looking robot as to Lynx, but, uh, a lot of their design, um, choices were, were different than what I would have done. Um, so it's, it's in- interesting to see another person's take on a similar robot. Um, and then of course, Orby, uh, has his crazy, um, horizontal spinner. Uh, that thing is beautiful inside and out. Um, and then I always enjoy uh, hanging out with the robot guys. Um, their electronic system with the 200 volts and the little tiny, or the million little tiny batteries was Pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I think those are the highlights of uh, BattleBots this year.
3: Um, yeah, I really wish that I could have been there this year to see all of those things, especially uh, like with Orby there this year and Blip. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And Riptide is such a gorgeous bot. Um, I'm really excited to see that compete next week. And everybody that was like on site that I talked to said that it was really cool looking in person. So um, I'm excited about that as well. Uh, so he has another interesting question for you. If you could make one rule change or arena change, what would it be? Let's assume he's talking about the BattleBots arena and rules specifically.
4: Okay. Uh, I mean, if we have to have a shelf, then I would put it outside of, you know, the screws. Um, you'd have to extend the arena outwards, but I think that would be a whole lot better. Um It'd probably be pretty hard for the drivers to see if they uh, get into like a little pocket, but, um, yeah, we, we really lost a lot of real estate this time around just because like you kinda, you kinda want to stay at least two feet away from the walls or else your, your, your weapon's going to hit the wall and, you know, stop. Um, so really if you take like a two foot perimeter around the arena and bring that in, basically the back two corners are, almost no go zones. And then, um, you have eight feet deep of shelf and then plus another like two feet of screws. It really cuts into your, uh, into the arena. So basically we're kind of driving in half the arena this year. Um, at least that's what it seemed like. Um, so I think moving the out of the arena area to, you know, an extension of the battle box would be really nice. Um, be a lot more expensive, but be nicer. Uh, But I think maybe like adding some terrain in the battle box would be cool. Uh, Like, you know, what if the, the back half of the arena was a foot above the, the front half of the arena. And then you have a, you know, eight feet of, of slope um, between the two halves. So then you have some high ground and some low ground and, uh, I don't know what that would do to the robot designs, but you know they—you'd have to have a little bit more ground clearance just to get over the uh, the slope, and um, might make forks a little less effective, or they might just have to be designed differently. That could be cool.
3: Yeah, I would love to see that change to the box, and uh, maybe even with like uh, ample notice to the builders to actually design for it.
4: Yeah. That's the most important part. <laughs> oh,
3: um, yeah. If there's
4: a rule change that I would like, it's, uh, you know, more lead time.
3: <laughs> so not a not a rule change uh, for the competi- competitors, really. Just a rule change for the competition itself. Please give us more lead time. <laughs> yeah, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty valuable for everybody. <laughs> oh, I like that a lot. Um, all right. So. Norwalk Havoc fan, Eddie Friend, saw you win in person at at Norwalk last month, and now he's planning to build his very first combat robot later this year. Um, He writes, Calvin, congrats on the win this week, and I also saw you win big at Norwalk. Driving is such a big part of being on top of the sports. Besides having a lot of experience, what would you recommend to a new driver to hone their skills also how important is the drivability of a bot?
4: Thanks, Eddie. Um, I think the bot design really has to complement the driver's skills. So um, if you don't have a lot of driving skill, then it's much easier to kind of point a horizontal in the general direction of your opponent than it is a vertical spinner. Or like if you if you really don't want to drive, then... Um, You could build like a a shell spinner or a full body spinner um, and not really have to worry about which way you're pointing. Um, So basically, you know, you design the robot for uh, what you want it to do. Um, And unfortunately, I don't get to practice a whole lot. uh, So just compete as much as you can. Um, Sounds like you're pretty close to Norwalk, so you have plenty of opportunities to compete and just have a lot of fun with it.
3: Man, that just blows me away that you don't drive very much or get to drive very much. You just, um, I know you said that you don't think of yourself as one of the the better drivers in this port, but it, you have a style, you know what I mean? Like you have a, a, like when you see you driving your robot, it's very distinct to you. And, um, you know, this, this last episode of BattleBots was the first time I kind of saw your driving style really represented in Mad Catter and I was like oh that's interesting there's a lot of links in the way that he's driving that bot right now that's cool um so that's very interesting to me this is that's like one of the biggest takeaways that I'm getting from this interview right now is that you mm-hmm. said that and I think that's so so weird because I had such a different perception
4: yeah and part of that is making Mad Catter more suited to my driving style as opposed yeah. to my driving style imparting on Mad Catter um, I that makes the, a lot the, of sense, you know, that we put a lot more power in the drivetrain and that made it look a lot more like Links. Um, so th- yeah, it's, it's a lot of, you know, tailoring the robot to the driver or to how you want it to perform.
3: Yeah. I like that. Um, all right. So Copperhead team member and kitten mittens captain Luke Quintal has a three-part question. First of all, what's the best way to spring load wedgelets? Or pontoons is that what you're calling
4: yeah so you know we have wide angular floating wedges so we call them pontoons um as opposed to you know like the the half inch or one inch wide laser cut steel wedgelets that you know, endgame has um so we really like surgical tubing so we uh stretch surgical tubing around a, a hole in the wedgelet and then uh zip-tie it off in a loop, and then stretch the other end around a, a hole in the frame, and then zip-tie that side off. And then that makes a, a pretty nice and reliable springy uh, wedgelet. Um, and it doesn't break uh, or like come off as easily as extension springs do, or uh, it's not as weird and hard to preload as like torsion springs. And it's really light, weighs basically nothing so that's my favorite way
3: that's really cool i like that um so his next question is how many times has droopy broken lynx's weapon
4: uh it's broken my weapon three times they're all in different places though which is interesting so um yeah you can kind of see the the evolution of of my weapon design and uh i don't know the different circumstances those broken Interesting.
3: Um, all right. So whatever happened to your 12-pound robot Maverick? Yeah, so... You kind of answered this one earlier, right? Is this still happening? Or are you going to bring this to the to the East Coast at any point?
4: Um, it's just hard to travel with because it weighs more. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm already at the 50-pound the weight limit in, with my bags. So it's hard bringing more than one robot or a heavier robot. Um, but it needs a redesign so it'll come back eventually but uh, it, it might just be a different robot entirely who knows
3: it sounds like you and Tommy just need to start road tripping to Norwalk Havoc now
4: yeah it's only what 3-4000 miles
3: yeah and that's a great time you'll have a great time with Tommy Wong you guys can just hang out talk robots uh, eat delicious food the whole way I think this sounds like a really good time film it for YouTube everybody would mm-hmm. want to see that yeah
4: I just need more time off <laughs>
3: <laughs> you just need more time. <laughs> I already have to take 2 weeks off for BattleBots. That's like yeah, that's all my lot. PTO. Um yeah, that is the biggest thing that they ask you to donate to BattleBots is uh is all your PTO. <laughs> uh here's another question for you. This one's from Mario Cast. Does Mad Crater require a weapons operator since you're using a wheel transmitter?
4: Uh yeah. So um with the heavyweight robot we have a separate person on the weapon. So that's actually Martin Mason. Um, So he kind of modulates the weapon, make sure it doesn't burn up or, you know, he stops the weapon uh, or turns it off before we hit a wall or something. Um, So I don't have to concentrate on that. I just have to concentrate on driving. And then we also have another operator on the arm. So that's Alan. So he uh, just actuates the arm whenever we need to self-ride or lift someone up. Or a uh, showboat at the end.
3: Yeah, I was about to say. Um, all right, so I got a last fan question here from Jeremy Lloyd. He says, hey, Calvin, how do you think a scaled-up Lynx would fare in battle bot, or in the Battlebox? Um, that is an interesting question, right? You talked a little bit about Riptide and how it's cool to see a, a similar design at the heavyweight scale, but you would have made some different choices. So uh with choices you would have made, how do you think that bot would've fared?
4: Uh I think it'd do pretty good. Uh assuming I get like the same power density uh, as I do with links. That's the hardest part is uh the heavyweight robots really just don't have the same, you know, size to or the you know, same size to power or weight to power ratio that the little bots do. Um yeah. so I think that'd be the, the hardest and most frustrating part um yeah getting it to go fast would be would be difficult but if uh, i am able to successfully um upscale links then i think it'd do pretty well
3: uh makes sense uh, that was one of my favorite quotes from matt vasquez where he told us uh don't tell anybody but driving heavyweights is actually super easy it's just like driving beetle weights, but in slow motion
4: yeah they drive like boats
3: i <laughs> <laughs> love that all right, so I'm going to pass you over to my friend, Lindsay, and she's going to finish us up with some uh, listener questions for you.
2: Hello, hello, Calvin. Hi. I, hi. Hi. Uh, so I have a question from Sumi Shick that we have all been really curious about ourselves, uh, and I think a lot of the fans are too. So does Martin Mason talk any differently than Randy Savage? And if so, how often?
4: Yeah, unfortunately, uh he sounds pretty normal most of the time. He just hands it up for TV. Um sometimes it's pretty jarring. Uh you know, like he'll he'll do his uh like well the cameras will come over and he'll do his his whole macho man stick. and uh it's it's pretty hard sometimes not to laugh. You know, we uh we all come up with some pretty bad puns, uh, you know, for if once we know who we're fighting for the day. Um and yeah, sometimes it's pretty hard not to laugh when uh, he says those.
2: It's uh pretty hilarious, <laughs> um, and I, I mean it looks like the rest of the crew, you and everyone else on the team, I feel like have really embraced it this season and have been like uh matching his energy, which has been funny to see.
4: Yeah, I think we're, uh, we're getting a little bit more comfortable on TV. Um, it's different for sure.
2: <laughs> so Andre Cruz has another Martin mason related question um is which you know i guess you've maybe just touched on a little bit but is martin mason really that colorful out of the arena as well i can just imagine him lecturing and just hyping you guys up every step of the way did you actually have him as a professor
4: no unfortunately i think i'm the one of the let's see i'm like one of the only ones on the team that hasn't had him as a professor um so yeah, unfortunately, I don't know if he actually does that during class. I would hope he brings it out at least a little bit.
2: <laughs> Follow up to that. Uh, do you have a favorite wrestler?
4: No, I don't, unfortunately. Uh, I, I never watch wrestling. Um,
2: yeah, me, me either. <laughs> um, and his last question is, what helped you become such a ridiculous driver? I mean, you mentioned that you don't get a ton of practice time. So what was the what's your secret sauce
4: i guess driving fast little robots helps with the bigger robots um you know getting used to slipstream kind of helped me get used to the speed of links and then you know mad catter's mad catter's is pretty different it's it's it has so much more mass and so much more heft to it that uh yeah it is pretty slow in the box um so I don't know. I just try to do my best, try to keep the front pointed towards the opponent and, um, you know, attack as much as I can.
2: Um, this is a, a question I'm going to tack on. What do you uh, enjoy driving more, beetleweights or, you know, heavy heavyweights?
4: I like driving my beetleweight a lot more. Um, you know, I tailor the drive to to how I like it, you know, ridiculously fast. And, uh, well, actually, it's not ridiculously ridiculously fast on the top end it only goes about like five miles an hour um but it accelerates instantly which is what i really like um so i think that's most fun to drive because it does what i want it to do
2: is it hard to go from you know i i imagine you drive your three pound uh, you know, links a lot more often than you drive Mad Catter throughout the year. So, is it, does it take some adjustment to go from like three pound brain mode to driving a heavyweight and getting into like that brain mode?
4: Uh, I guess so. Um, yeah, you kind of have to keep your uh, weight transfer in mind. Just kind of, you have to, if your robot's turning in the clockwise direction, It's much easier to keep it turning in the clockwise direction than it is to stop and turn slightly left or something if you need to. Um, And then yeah, it's much harder to get it going and much harder to get it stopped. Uh, It's just a lot slower and uh, a little bit more sluggish.
2: So Deep Six team member Brad Hanstead has an odd question. Maybe you know the context of this a little bit better than we do. What is your opinion of Thanos?
4: i don't know brad uh i mean thanos wasn't isn't that cool but he's trying to solve world hunger or something so you know i'm not the worst villain but uh uh yeah as i explained earlier in the show uh, my brother ended up making uh infinity stones and selling on those on etsy uh so that's pretty cool
2: nice <laughs> alright so let's wrap up with a series of deeply philosophical questions from BattleBots superfan Mary Catherine Carr uh, so her first question is if you could change anything about Madcatter with any BattleBots rules disregarded what would you change about the bot
4: um, I mean BattleBots rules are pretty wide open so um, they let us do almost every- anything But, uh, oh, one thing I think, uh, okay. So we had some, uh, flamethrower modules that we could put on the top of mad catter. And, uh, if we could leave those unarmored, that would be great. They want us to have a little bit armor around like the butane tanks and stuff. So they don't explode, but, uh, that's the best part. You know, when you have your, your tanks explode so i think it would have been a lot of fun if if we had those more exposed um i don't know i can't remember if we got to use them a whole lot uh this year but uh yeah um yeah exposed butane tanks are a lot of fun
2: who doesn't want more fire you know
4: right and then just kind of some always-on igniters in the general area or something (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh so her next question is what would be your dream heavyweight if you got to make your own team and who would be on your dream team
4: so i think it'd be cool to build a heavyweight lynx but i mean it's kind of boring it's just a, another four-wheel drive vert so I'd have to come up with some other you know more interesting design i think um yeah lynx is already very similar to riptide or hypershock or rich doctor or jackpot um but as far as the dream team i think i think i'd keep my team as it is now i mean e-man is a, an amazing uh designer that i mean just turns things out around super quick and then mason and trent and ryan just know how to guilt get things built and get things done um and then our we have like tommy and alan on electronics and um they're they're great doing all the VESC tuning and um, wiring up sensors and stuff. That's way beyond me. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think we have a pretty well balanced team.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, why is Gassy Cat the most underrated mini bot, and who drives it?
4: Uh, I wouldn't say it's underrated. I'd say it's pretty accurately rated. Um, Tommy and Ryan drive it. So Tommy. Uh, drives the robot and then Ryan does the flamethrower out the butt. Um, the yeah, it's it's just fun. Um, you know, flames make for good pictures and good TV, so that's why we run it. And it only weighs three pounds, so uh, if we have weight left, then we'll just throw that in. But um, yeah, it's just it's just for fun.
2: Well, if it weighs three pounds, does that mean we might see Gassy Cat on the beetleweight circuit?
4: <laughs> Actually, I think it's like three and a half pounds or something. It's like uh, just over. Oh, no. Um, to where like you can't run it in the beetleweight division.
2: Oh, man. So close. But, um, oh, that's
4: another one of the robots where uh, where we would like a bigger, more exposed butane tank.
2: Yes.
4: Because, uh, yeah, last year we uh, fought uh or let's see our first year we fought um battle i think that big ring spinner um and yeah we drove gassy cat straight into the weapon and it made a huge fireball um and yeah that's was, that's was great we want more of that
2: so do we <laughs> all right so we have uh two uh Last questions here before we wrap things up. Um, and I think they are good ones. So what's something you think BattleBots could learn from Norwalk Havoc and vice versa? And do any other robot combat competitions do anything exceptional that BattleBots and or Norwalk Havoc could benefit from implementing?
4: Um, let's see. I think BattleBots could schedule their event dates like years in advance. That'd be awesome. Um, I know they have the permit set up right now but they still haven't told us you know, when the next se- season is going to be or to tell us to start building yet um, so we're all kind of anxiously waiting for that um, and then I mean Norwalk does a great job with having uh, enough prize money to make people want to like fly out across the country and compete um, and that's a big that makes it a whole lot easier for me to know that I might be able to you know, recoup some of the costs of flying out there. I mean, the entry fee, even though it's free, it's kind of like three to three to 1200 bucks, depending on the month that I go uh, as an entry fee. So it it's, it kind of hurts the wallet to, to fly out there sometimes. Oh, I like how both events have test boxes. I think that's something a lot of other events could do. Um, just to do a little Twitch test before your fight. Uh, makes a huge difference. Um, you know, it's it's really sucks to go into the box and then turn your the robot on and then something stupid happens, like you forgot some- to plug something in or, uh, you know, there's a little short somewhere that you didn't know about until you could actually, like, turn it on in a box. So that, that helps out a lot with competitions, I think.
2: Yeah, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, So the last question here... Uh, is everyone's asking what's next for your smaller weight classes but the most important question is what are your plans for that sweet sweet cash prize
4: uh, i can probably use it to help pay off my car or invest it or probably end up spending uh, a good amount on tools for the garage I can never have enough tools
2: that is a very responsible answer. <laughs> well, thank you again Calvin so so much for talking with us. It has really been fascinating um getting a little peek into your brain and learning about your design philosophy. And I just, it's been very fascinating. So, really, thank you again so, so much. Best of luck to you and to Mad Catter this season. And we're looking forward to seeing you in the battle box again soon.
4: Thank you. Yeah, I can't wait to see you guys at uh, Norwalk soon.
2: Woo!
1: After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World.
2: Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're headed to China, where the country's military is testing out an 8-foot-long walking robot that it claims is the world's largest, heaviest, and most off-road-capable robotic quadruped ever made. So, nothing bad comes from that. Uh, The robot, which people have called the Mechanical Yak, can carry 350 pounds of cargo and still run up to 6 miles per hour. I would love to see that in action, but also I'm terrified. Uh, Chinese state media claims the c- mechanical yak can successfully navigate steps, trenches, cliffs, muddy roads, grasslands, deserts, and snow fields. They reportedly plan to use the mechanical yak for, you know, very, uh normal, reasonable military reconnaissance and supply delivery in dangerous war zones. Um. So thinking about this yak, uh, I've got some concerns. I don't know about you guys. I think this
3: yak is a bunch of bull. First of all, Mechanical Yak is an awesome band name and uh, there needs to be a math rock band named Mechanical Yak right away. Second of all, uh, this looks like it's ripped straight off of Boston Dynamics. Uh, Like looking at the videos, it's a very similar concept and design. And with what we know about intellectual property rights and China, I can't help but like my brain going there. Um, So, yeah, I feel I feel some feelings about that.
1: I don't know. I think that this uh, this 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 new robots, it makes me feel a little bit sick.
3: Yeah, does it? uh, What does it make you want to do?
1: It kind of makes me want to yak. Oh my God.
3: (laughs) (sighs) I thought it was coming and there it was. There it was. Um, Yeah. Watching this thing walk around, it's got a big old flat top and that would be a great place for, uh, you know, cargo or a heavy machine gun. Who knows?
1: Are these, is this going to just become the, like the new Sherpa for
3: billionaires who want to scale mountains? I mean, it is now that you suggested it. That's a great idea. You you wouldn't even need them. Like, you could just ride this thing up Everest.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: I would ride a yak, a mechanical yak up Everest. Would you? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you would? No. You would ride a mechanical yak up Mount Everest? That's fascinating. I learn something new about you every day.
4: I think they should go yak to basics and uh, just climb themselves.
1: Calvin! Oh, yes! What? what?
3: Oh. what? Mic oh. drop!
2: Oh my goodness!
4: Thanks, guys. <laughs> wow!
2: Oh my goodness! Everyone should know that was a pun, a quality pun from none other than our very own guest today, Calvin Eba. Well done.
1: <laughs> you know. You were really thinking outside of the ox.
3: <laughs> this is the worst. <sighs> okay. <laughs> well,
1: that's about it for us today. <laughs> we'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye.
2: Yakety yak, don't talk back.
3: Bye, son. Oh! <laughs>